right. Um, last week, I believe we finished the verse, at least what we're going to do, learn from it. Venosati mitar artsachem beito, I shall give you the rain of your land in its time. Yore umalkosh, early rain and late rain. Veosafto degonecha, and you will gather your grain. Vesiroshcha, and your grape harvest. Veitzarecha, and your olive harvests. Venosati esev besadcha, and I will give grass in your fields. Livhemtecha, for your animals. Veochalta vesavata, and you will eat and you will be satisfied. Um, Really, the simple pshat is not so difficult to understand. The basic message is there's plenty. Plenty for you and plenty for your animals. And that is essentially what the pasuk means. There are a few questions that you ask here um, and that the Mephorshim ask. So one is that it's maybe a little unexpected. If you take those two verses together, which seems to make sense. They're connected with a vav. The idea seems to flow together. There'll be plenty in your fields for you and for your animals. That what you have is, I'll send the rain in its time. Okay, so that's, let's say, preparatory. You'll gather the grain and all the different harvests. Sort of seems like over there is where you should have said, you'll eat and you'll be satisfied. And then afterwards say, and there'll be plenty of grass in the field for your animals. It seems a little funny that you say, okay, there'll be plenty for the people, plenty for the animals, and you'll eat and be satisfied. And you've got the animals in the middle, and then you've got the people on both sides. So that seems to be like an unexpected flow of, of ideas. You went from the people to the animals and back to the people again. So the, que- the first question that really comes up is, is this meant to be read like, does it go in order? One thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. So Ramban, Ramban definitely seems to say, but not seem, Ramban says, uh, that it all goes together. Rashi says, no, no, it's a separate thing. One was that you'll have your harvest, and then the next thing is that there's going to be plenty in your, of, of uh, fodder for the animals, and you'll eat and be satisfied. And that that piece, uh, let me, you know what, let me look up the Rashi. He says it goes back to the first one, I think, but I don't want to mix them up. He says that Ve'achalta Vesavata is referring back to the Pasuk before, not to the animals. And Ramban says that it all goes together, one after the other. Since they're in the same verse, it must go together. Funny how short the Haya is in the Chumash. Okay. So Rashi says, I'll put grass in the field for your animals, and you'll eat and you'll be satisfied. This is a different one. This is a different blessing. This isn't connected to the blessing on the animals. It's a separate thing. So there's a blessing of your harvest, there's a blessing of harvest for your animals, and there's a blessing of Ve'ochalta Vesavata. And it's not really connected to the animals, and so it's not so strange. And what is that blessing? That you will have blessing in your bread, after you've eaten it, inside your intestines. And when you're digesting your food, even though you eat a little, you'll, have, you'll feel that it's satisfying. It's enough. You'll eat, you'll be satisfied. 
even from a small amount. So this is a blessing that we've seen in other places. I'm not going to go into all of that, but what I will do is say that as we get to the end of this Pasuk, I want to come back to this idea of the, why that would be such a big bracha to have the food be satisfying even when you've eaten a small amount. Because you would think, wouldn't it be better to have even more? <laughs> Meaning have plenty of food and not worry about it rather than have a little bit and discover after you've eaten it that it was adequate. Seems like that is a very nice bracha, but even better would be that you didn't worry about it at all, that there was so much that you ate until you were satisfied, before you digested it. Okay. The Ramban, says, he quotes Rashi, who said that this is a different bracha, not connected so much to the animal bracha. But he says, no, no, no. This, um, and then he quotes the Ibn Ezra. Who says, you'll eat and you'll be satisfied. It's referring back one verse, back to the blessings on the produce for the people. You sort of took a diversion to the animals and now you went back to the people. Not on the karov, not on the thing that's right next to it, adjacent to it, which is the bracha for the animals. But he says, no, he thinks it all goes together. Ramban. That what the Pasuk is saying is, that blessing that you'll eat and be satisfied is the outcome of both verses. It's referring to all of it. That you'll have plenty of olive harvest, you'll have plenty of vine harvest, you'll have plenty of grain harvest, you'll have plenty of um, grass for your animals, and therefore, because of all those things, you'll eat and be satisfied. And he quotes the Sifri to back this up, because the Medrash says, what does it mean you'll eat and be satisfied? When your animal eats and is satisfied, it can work the land better. If your animals are starving, they don't plow well, and so the harvest doesn't come up. So this is like a cycle. There's, there's enough grass, there's enough harvest, the animals eat, they're strong, they do good work, and then you have more great harvest. This is, this is like a proof that this is, uh, this is what it's referring to. Or, and he quotes another metrish, min when they say when they have plenty to eat, animals have more children. They have more babies. So then you'll have more animals doing even more harvesting, or perhaps you'll be able to eat the animals, although nobody ever says that straight out, which is kind of interesting. It's interesting. It's not you'll have plenty of meat. Okay. So it's possible that it's not that so much as you'll have more animals and you will be able to do more farm work with these animals and have more. I don't know which one the Sifri had in mind. Okay, so those are two the two basic approaches, that it's connected or that it's not connected. Now Rashi actually was like, as long as I've closed it, let's look inside. <laughs> Rashi says, this, this I'm, I'm sharing mostly, I mean, it's Torah, it's worth hearing anyway, but I'm sharing it because it's nice how it touches back on something we already talked about. Because you remember that in the previous Pasuk we had a question on you will gather your grain so there's a, quite a long discussion in the Talmud. You'll gather your grain, asafta deganecha v'sirochcha v'yitzarecha, and that this is, this is a situation, right, of, of living like uh, Rabbi Yehuda, not like Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai. And, right, that whole discussion of, is it better with derech Eretz? Is it better? Okay, so what Rashi does over here, which you don't necessarily catch, because here's what he says. He says, so what's the bracha of, I will give you grass in your fields for your animals? 
therefore you won't have to go way out into the wilderness. You know, nowadays if you drive through the hills in Israel, so you'll see like Bedouins and Arabs out there with their goats, right? You take them out into the midbar and they find and they scrabble around and they eat the grass and the little bushes and you pasture them that way. But if you have enough grass in your fields, you don't have to spend all day out in the desert trying to find food for your animals. You can put out a picket line and, or fence a field and they can just eat there and that leaves you a lot of time to be able to, let's say, Davaracher, another opinion as to what this blessing means. Shetia gozes to asecha kol yimos hagshamim. So the first one was you don't have to go out to a great distance to find adequate pasture for your animals. The second explanation is right through the rainy season when it's growing, you can just cut. You don't have to say, well, I'll wait till it grows and there'll be more. Whenever you need some grass, it's just there because it's sprouted from the rain. You cut it, you give it to your animals, you <laughs> You just throw it out for them, and they'll take it, and they'll eat it, and it'll be enough. And And you can, you don't have to do anything more than that. And not only that, but even if you keep raiding your own harvest up until a month before the end of the growing season, You'll have enough. It, you won't reduce your harvest. You keep skimming off to feed your animals the whole winter, and it just keeps growing and growing, and you'll find that when it's time to harvest, you still have enough harvest. You haven't reduced. So the Sifzeh Chachamim points out, why, why is Rashi giving us these two explanations? And what, what he's doing is, he sh each one of these, one is according to Rabbi Yehuda, and in fact... <laughs> It's really funny. One is according to Rabbi Yehuda, one's according to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. But when I was looking in the Yalkut this morning, it's actually in their names. Meaning this is how they explain this pasuk. Because if you understood that the Torah was saying that what you have to do, you know, if, if you're like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai who says, yeah, so first you find that you really have to be busy plowing the ground. And then you find you have to be really busy. You know, you're going to learn next week. Because now this week you've got to plow. And next week it turns out you've got to sow. And the week after that it turns out you've got to like go through again and pull out the weeds. And the next week it turns out that you've got to irrigate it. You know, you come to the end of a year and you realize it never quite came around to the time that you were able to learn. That's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's approach. And Rabbi Yehuda said, no, you gotta, you got to grow, you got to do, and you have to make sure that you have time every day, that you're also learning, you have Torah, and you have the Derech So it turns out that it's actually they who explain it. Rabbi Yehuda ben Bava said, V'nosati esav b'sadcha livhemtecha bein hatchumim, meaning within the tchum of the city. So it might not be your own field, but the fields that are just as, you know, they used to have was a walled city, and then you'd have the fields outside of it. Right? So you won't have to go far to do it, and you'll also have time to learn. You do the work, and you'll also learn. This is how he understands this bracha, because he's understanding it in terms of that you have to have the Torah, and you also have to have some derech You have to work for yourself to support yourself. Um, blah, 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 blah. And Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai Omer, and it was Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai who gave the explanation. Now, Rashi doesn't quote who it is that he, who said it, right. but it's interesting, right? And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, no, I'll put the grass in the fields for your animals. Meaning you don't have to go anywhere. All you got to do is cut it off from the ground and just leave it there. Just dump it and the animals will eat it. You don't have to do anything and you'll find that you have plenty of harvest even though you've been raiding your own grass. 
the entire season. You don't have to even go out. That, that's a Yalkut Shimoni. So it's a compilation of a lot of the Midrashim on Chumash. It's a quite is, a it's high a time somebody reprinted it. saying that the satisfaction comes from the Torah learning instead of actual eating? They're actually, we will get to something like that. Oh. Yeah. They're not, they don't seem to be saying it. That's, oh, that's interesting. Is that what he's saying? I don't know that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is saying that there. I have no idea. But definitely it comes out when you look deeper into that process altogether that it does come out that that's what the veil halta v'savata comes out to be. Um, that'll be. That'll be what Rav Schwab says, essentially. Okay. But he gives a lot of detail to it, which I thought was, was helpful. Okay. Now let's say, that was, that was the Rashi side, but let's say we're talking about the idea that really veil halta v'savata does connect also to the part about the grass for the animals, meaning not just that it's all separate pieces. So how would we understand that? So one way that's also brought in the Yalkut is, it's, um, I don't see where it's from. Oh, I remember, it didn't have a mark. It only, it only had the source reference for the Pusuk. It quoted, not for the, not for the Medrash. It's a good sign for a person. If your animals have enough food to eat and be satisfied, what does that tell you? That the people have enough to eat and be satisfied. Because if they could not eat enough to get by, they would also be cutting back on the animals' food. Mm-hmm. And they say, you're not going to starve the people to keep the animals alive. So, right? so this is a good sign. Meaning you'll gather in your harvest, even your animals will have enough. You know you can eat and be satisfied. That's one way. It's a sign of plenty. When your animals eat and they're satisfied, then they can work with much more strength in the field. And that will lead you to and that's what the Ramban had referred to as an example of showing that it really all goes together. He quoted that metrish. Now there's another one, which is a Gemara in Gitin. Omar Rav. Rav said, and this is a halacha we've all heard of, and maybe even had a chance to implement, but I can't say that I knew it came, that it was learned out from a Pasuk in Shema. Asur adam shegit om klum kodem shegitain machal lifne behemto. It is forbidden for a person to taste anything until he has first given food to his animal. Now you don't have to put it in their mouth. You just have to put it in front of them. That's, yeah. It's a very well-known halacha, but I didn't know that this is the source of it. It's in Shema. I will give grass in your fields for your animals, and then you will eat and you'll be satisfied. This is the as the Pasuk says, right? This is the source of this halacha, that it is forbidden for a person to eat, to even taste his food, until he has put food in front of his animals. And Rav Schwab says, he brings an interesting extra point based on, he, I have a note here, Gavgar and Brachos, I think you might have also quoted the Shulchan Aruch, that let's say a person made a bracha on their food. Hamotzi lecha min ha'aretz, and they're about to put the bread in their mouth, because of course before you make a bracha, you've got it in your hand and it's ready to eat. And then he realizes he didn't feed his horse. If he says, uh, no, Yankala, run and put some hay for the horse, 
it's not a hefsek in his bracha because it's considered one of those things that's a tzorech bracha. It's a need demanded by the bracha itself. In order to make a bracha and be able to eat the food, you have to have food out already for the animal. Therefore, it's not even a hefsek between a bracha and the food even and eating the food. Even if you get up and feed the horse yourself. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. The only example he gave, I'm not going to pass it. was speaking, not the actual feeding. You wouldn't think it makes a difference. Probably either way it's the yeah. same, but yeah. it's definitely a question. Like, if the, I know you have an animal in your house. It's actually a halacha question. You better ask somebody who knows the halacha, not me. I just heard about this halacha. Right? It's a big blessing even to know the ideas. Even to know the ideas, right. But even to know the ideas is such a gift. You know, when you, when you see how, like, so many people don't even know what the halachic ideas are, so you don't even know to ask the question. Mm -hmm. right. It's a tremendously wonderful thing when you can learn about halacha, even if you don't understand from it per se exactly what to do in any situation. First of all, sometimes you actually have to make decisions and there's no time to consult. It does happen. We try very hard to think ahead and predict what we'll need and ask the questions up front. But it can happen that you have to poskin for yourself on one foot. And when that happens, it's a very big blessing if you know at least the basic principles. You can make an educated guess. But more than that is how do you even know what to ask? Right? Like if you didn't know that there's such an idea as feeding your animal before you eat yourself. And that it even could be that you would do it even if you made a bracha and only then you remembered, maybe you should stop and do it and then come back and not make another bracha, same bracha, I don't know, right? Then you know the question to ask. You don't even know the question otherwise. And that's, that's sort of the saddest thing. That's the most helpless thing. If you don't even know what to ask, the, we all become the she'eno yodea lishol, you know? You don't even know what to ask. So then how, how can we ever hope, right? If you want to hope to do what's right, then at least to know what to ask. And, then, and that requires... Kind of learning quite a lot of halacha just to even be able to ask what the halacha is. Okay, so Rav Schwab uh, also points to this. It's a bit of a command form. You should eat. You'll eat. You eat. You be satisfied. Eat and be satisfied. And he refers to the Rambam. This is also something that I know, at least in in Venice, has come up many times. That the Rambam says you shouldn't eat until you're full. You don't eat until you feel full. You should leave somewhere between 20 and 25% of your, I don't know, stomach capacity unfilled. That's a way of reading. You should eat and be full. You should be satisfied. Meaning, even though you haven't filled yourself up to a point of satisfaction, be satisfied. Stop there. And then Rav Schwab goes on. He says, once a person has fulfilled his nutritional needs, then the remaining hunger is really just an appetite. It's, an, it's the animal, it's the behemoth in the person wanting to eat. And that should be controlled. I mean, there's a certain amount you have to eat, that's what you have to eat. After that, it's just taiva. And he says, from this we can have insight into a pasuk in Tehillim, which we all know because we say it at the end of benching. Yeru'es Hashem Kedoshav. God's holy ones fear him. Let me, let me re, I'm going to say that again because I think he translated it with different punctuation. Yiru es Hashem Kedoshav. Oh, holy ones of God, fear God. Like an instruction. Fear God, you holy ones of God. 
ki ein machsor lireav, because there is no lack to those who fear him. Meaning, if you're a holy person, a kadosh, then I am instructing you, yiru es Hashem. Have yiras Hashem, because those who have yiras Hashem lack nothing. Yeah? Okay. Uh, many ways. Okay. But, but this is how he explains it. A kadosh fears God by definition. Meaning, why would you tell someone who's a kadosh, Yeru es Hashem? He's saying because kadusha is, and we know this from uh, Vayikra in Parshas Kedoshim. Kedoshim to you, Hashem says, be holy. And the Mephorshim teach, in particular the Ramban, Kadesh Make Sanctify yourself with that which is permitted. In other words, just because something is allowed doesn't mean you've got to go and have it. And just because it's allowed doesn't mean it's advisable. You should have kedusha, which we know is always associated with restraint, even in that which is permitted. So yiru es hadshem kedoshav means people who sanctify themselves by abstaining and limiting even that which is permissible. To these people we're saying yiru es hashem ki emachsor lireav. When a person has an appetite to eat or drink after fulfilling nutritional needs, and nonetheless curbs his appetite, her appetite, right, as long as I'm listening, curbs his appetite as an exercise in controlling taiva, meaning says, I don't want to eat because I don't want my taiva to be driving the fact that I eat. Is it forbidden? No, it's permitted. It's allowed. But I recognize that at this point, you know, I'm not really eating because I'm still hungry. <laughs> I'm not even eating because I need more. I'm just eating because this tastes really good. I like that taste. And I don't want my taiva to be the reason that I'm eating. That's called kedusha. Because the, the reason you're stopping is not because you're afraid of gaining weight. and not The reason you're stopping is because you don't want your taivas to be in control. That's kedusha. So he, he retranslates this pasuk like this. You kedoshim... Fill the void in your appetite for taiva of worldly pleasure with yira shamayim. Because if you, you can be satisfied with your yira shamayim. Those who fear Hashem don't feel a lack. So you feel like there's still a hunger open in you, and it's not because your body needs more food. Let, let me, I'm going to take something a little farther than what Rav Schwab said, but what I think is something that we could relate to. Everybody knows there's such things as comfort foods, right? And everybody knows that a lot of times we eat too much. Why? Because we're feeling unhappy. And so now I feel like, oh, I want a little something, right? That emotional hunger doesn't actually get filled by the food. I think we all kind of know that, too. <laughs> it works for a moment, right? It doesn't. What fills that emotional hunger and that emotional need for comfort food is actually your Shamayim. That actually satisfies it. Ein machsor lireav. Somebody with your Shamayim, the your Shamayim itself fills that hunger and that need. It's a very profound and useful, it's it, unbelievably practical, and yet also very, very profound idea. So you. When you hold back and you say, you know what, I'd only be eating now because of taiva. I don't want to be a balas taiva. I would like to be someone who's controlling the taiva. That's kedusha. But this pasuk is telling you something more. It's saying, yiru es Hashem kedusha. Okay, so 
you say to yourself, another step beyond that, which is, I kind of feel like I want to eat just because I had a stressful day. What I really need to do is turn to Hashem. That will actually solve the problem. That will fill me up, not the food. I've, and, and then, but that by itself, by the way, I think is like kind of more or less worth the week. <laughs> That's like a very, very serious idea. Um, and it's something that we could work to train ourselves in, to be able to say, like, I'm hung, oh, I just want a little snack, a little something, and say, well, what is it I really want? And even when you know that you're only eating for an emotional reason, it doesn't help if you don't know what you really could fill it with. Meaning, you could control yourself and say, no, I'm just not going to have it. And that's, that could be a kadusha, but you could solve it. You can actually tackle it at the root if you know what you should fill the hole with, right? Okay. But then he goes another step. He says, Avas Hashem and Yerushalayim are only possible if one does not fully satiate his desire for food and other worldly pleasures. This is another step, and it's a very strong statement, that the only way to fully get Avas Hashem and Yerushalayim, to reach those things, you don't get that, right? I mean, they're a gift, but you've got to work for them. The only way to reach those is by not allowing the pleasures and desires to have full reign. They have to be held back. And that's as far as he goes in Rav Schwab on prayer. But there was a note which referred to Mayam Besa Shoeva, which is in Hebrew. So I went over there and I found that there are actually two references. There's the one that they mention in the book of Rav Schwab on prayer. And then there's a second place where he also builds on that idea. And that's what I really wanted to do today. And it could be if we, if we finish this, we'll go a little further. It could be this is where we'll stop because I, I feel like it's such a, such a core idea. It's, it's a jumping off platform for a huge amount of, like a lifetime of development. Wait, so it's very yeah, I remember I told you, I'm sure you know these ideas, even if you didn't hear them from inside, but from Rav Schwab. You're also their mother. It's both. Very mature mm. step. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's first of all, this is you're talking about a step past the kedusha step. You're talking about a teenager is exactly in the middle of having like a lot of taiva. Like it's not really necessarily the moment to say even that which you can do. You don't necessarily have to do enough. Well, just don't do what you can't do. If you reach the age of 20 or 22, you'll start talking about when we get past that, right? <laughs> Not to mention have... it's harder to hear from a parent. It's difficult sure, to, uh, to hear sure, about aspiration sure. from a parent. No, but just to control, because as you said, the, but even for us to not have the guilt to give everything to our little children. Right, that we could be doing them a favor. Exactly, because in, that, in our society, and also when you love you, Want, you know, right. it has no yeah, training a training a child to be able to be patient, and to defer gratification, you get it in ten minutes. When I'm done with this, then I'll help you with that. You know, that's 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 helpful. That's like the beginning steps. It's helpful for ourselves as well. Okay, so first, this is what I'm going to read to you now is from Ma'ayan Beis Hashoeva. It's in Parshas of Eschanan, and it's page three hundred and ninety-five. 
And he says it on, it's really, I think, on the I didn't, I only took this section of it because that was actually, the truth is when we did you can see my bracket ends just before what I'm going to read now. So we actually did the first part of that essay and this is the second part. Because it was, right, you have over there with both of your Yetzers, your Yetzer and your Yetzer Umeolam tomati. And I have always wondered. It's an interesting way of putting it. I've always wondered. You may have also wondered this. I think this, you know, why do people term the good power or the good drive in someone Yetzer Tov? Stop and think a minute. You know, you kind of know who your Yetzer Hara is. Your Yetzer Tov, do you even recognize your Yetzer Tov? And if you do, if you could identify the voice in you that's the Yetzer Tov, is it really a Yetzer the way the Yetzer Hara is? Often not, <laughs> right? Not always. So he says, I, I, I'm astonished. Like, why do you call the good drive in a person, the good power, a yetzer tov. Because how you characterize the yetzer hara? It's mishadesh, right? Like every day it renews its fight. Every day there's a new strategy. There's a new pitfall. There's some new trap the yetzer hara will take you to. When it comes to doing God's will, I can't say you've always heard that or, or seen that our experience is we have that kind of Yetzer for doing good. <laughs> you know, every day is there some part of our mind that's got some new amazing way it's going to try and get around the Yetzer Hara. <laughs> right? Yetzahara tries to lead you into something and Yetzah Tov jumps out from behind a bush and says, ha-ha, <laughs> I gotcha, you really did something good. Right? But Yetzah Tov does it all the time. Yetzahara does do that. Yetzahara does not sneak around and always trying to come up with some new, clever approach. Just one second, sorry. It just, I just suddenly realized it explains a Pasuk that I've always wondered a little bit about. Just like he said, I've always wondered. I've always wondered. <laughs> oh, I've got lots of things. <laughs> okay, there we go. Yeah, uh, my daughter called me yesterday from seminary, and she says, me and my friend have this question. So they asked the question, and we talked about what might be the answer. And then I said, you know, you get, I remember sitting in my dorm in seminary, and doing the same homework, which was preparing for the Parsha test. So you have to, you read the Parsha and you read the Rashi. And, and I came up with a question, and I'm going to bequeath it to you. And I gave her the question, and she's like, I said, here's the part. I said, well, then she couldn't hear me. I said, well, figure out what was my question. And she looks and she says, <gasps> you know. <laughs> she, I said, great. For 27 years, I've been worrying about this question. It's no, yours you now. <laughs> she says it's like a Yerusha, because they have this saying that in, in this seminary, it's been around so long, and people have Yerushas. They get from their mothers or their big sisters or their friends. You know, they hand down um, books or they hand down homework assignments. or they hand down, You know, there's like all these different things get handed down. So she's now got a Yerusha. She's got a question. 
that I did not find an answer to in seminary, nor have I found a really satisfactory answer since. Okay, sorry, yes. I got distracted onto my own pleasure. But to doing Hashem's Ratzon, we don't find, nor do we see, that the reality is that there's this Yetzer. Hare Hamasim Hatovim Shal Ha'adam. What we normally see is that a person's good deeds, Tuluyim Bechachmaso Veyiraso Uvehis Gavruso Al Yetzerhara. What are, the, what are the causes of a person's good deeds? His chachma, his wisdom, his intellect. It isn't that passion, right? His wisdom, his yirashamayim. So really, he's pulled to do this bad thing, but he doesn't want God to think badly of him. It's good reasons. These are not bad. But they hardly have that, that constantly creative. creative, flowing, and passionate, never give up kind of battle. Question sort of like your Yitzhak Tov wouldn't let you give up on that question. Twenty-seven years later, you're still thinking about well, it. Well, no, to find the because if it were a Yitzhak Hara, if it were a Yitzhak, I would be sitting you're with books open all, the, or I wouldn't have, but I would never have stopped looking. I had the patience to be able to say, you know, it's a question. I could handle having the question. It's a real, it's a very, really, very interesting question and a very real question, and I don't know what the answer is, but someday I'll find out, or I won't find out. Like, it's okay to have some open questions, and you can handle that as long as you have. So that's, that's Most of your questions usually find answers. You can handle a few open ones, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I hardly leaving no stone unturned in my desperate quest to find an answer to the question, you know. I, I wish I could say I had, but that would not be true. <laughs> okay, so we find that a person's good deeds generally depend upon his intelligence, his intellect, his yirashamayim, his ability to be misgaber, to, to overpower his yetzerhara, to control his yetzerhara. Not a real passion and drive and, and temptation and lust that pulls him to the good. And we should really investigate. And the truth is, once you notice that question, you kind of have to wonder, how is Bechira fair? Free choice should mean that we have an equal balance of Yetzirah and Yetzirah But the Yetzirah is constantly persuading a person to travel in the opposite direction from the primary source of the world. That is, by the way, the term that's used in this week's parsha on Vayera, Lot. It says he traveled Mikedem from the east. Kedem also means from before. Kadmon is previous, or the source, where you came from. So Rashi says, he was traveling, he turned his back on Kadmon Shalolam. He traveled away from the east because he was traveling away from Hashem in this journey, right? So the Yetzirah, which is always getting a person to travel me, Kadmon Shalolam, Medaber Alev Ha'adam. No, sorry, V'kocho Chazak, and it's very powerful. The Yetzir Tov appears much weaker. It doesn't speak directly to the heart. And it doesn't pull a person to do what is good and what is just. So these are, he kind of had the first question for a long time. Couldn't understand the way he makes it sound. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, it doesn't even make it seem like the Bechira is so evenly balanced, that you have a free choice in, the, in a balanced way. Ad sheheir Hashem Yisbarach enai 
until Hashem illuminated my eyes, Bedivrei Chazal, with the words of Chazal, and he refers to Brachos Samech Aleph, although he says that it's not explicit there, but it seems to be understood in other sources, and also in the Yerushalmi and Zota, in Korban Ha'ida there, on the Pasuk in Tehillim, Vilibi Chalal Bekirbi. I don't think that's a whole Pasuk, that's a, a fragment. My heart, Chalal, is, uh, is a void, is a vacuum, has a hole. Bekirbi inside of me. Shedavra Melech, and this is an idea that Chazal say that David Melech was able to kill his Yetzirah by fasting. So that's, you know, it's interesting. And you, you may have even heard this idea, David Melech at some stage in his life managed to, you know, wipe out his Yetzirah, I don't know, but difficult to take any practical Musser, right, a Musser Haskell from the fact that David kills his Yetzirah because we don't really expect that no matter what we do, we're going to be able to kill our Yetzirah. So it's a very interesting point, and that's it. Right. I really have heard this point before, but that, you know, I, I suspect that Rav Schwab, from the way he writes, he'd also heard this point before and suddenly had an illumination. That's what he's saying. God gave me an insight into this. But there was a tradition for people to, to fast twice a week. And they, they, right, but we don't go around saying that, no, like, all this time, take him, kill their Yetzirah. No. no, that you could fast is fasting. Okay. Yeah. Right. So you're saying, oh, so maybe you could learn from David Amel that there's a value to fasting and controlling your Yitzhahara in this way. Right, right. You could take that from it. But other than that, like the fact that he killed his Yitzhahara, I don't know, you know, like where do you go from there? Okay. He's saying, but this is the insight. This is the new Chirush. If your Yitzhahara gets weakened by fasting, hare leumas zeh, in, in opposition, but it, it doesn't mean that. It means in balance to that. The other end of that stick is, or the other side of that coin is, We really do have a Yetzer Tov. But our Yetzer Tov, it, that's for you. Our Yetzer Tov, our Yetzer Hara is weakened when we fast. Our Yetzer Tov is weakened by too much, ribui, an increase of eating and physical pleasure. So the reason that all of us don't know that we have a Yetzer Tov is because we've been blessed to live in a time of plenty. This is two sides of the same coin. It really is the same thing. The Yetzer Hara is weakened by fasting, and the Yetzer Tov is weakened by too much eating and physical satisfaction. Which means that the truth is that a person can give birth to a Yetzer Tov with the full meaning of the impl and implication of the word Yetzer. A person really could have that inside of him. And if a person would just not have such a, an ribuya, what's the word? Like an, it's not, an, I guess an increase. Harbe, it's like harbe, a lot of. Eating, uridifas hamutaros, and chasing after that which is permitted. Hayalibo humatomid. Then his heart would be in a tumult all the time, to do God's will. 
ואין תוספות כסובות, דמירן במדרש, אוקיי, עד שאדם מספלו, שייכנס תורה לתוך גופו, יספלו שלו, ייכנסו מאדונים לתוך גופו. This is, he's quoting a medrash, that before a person davens that Torah should enter his body, he should be davening that madonim, like, it's sort of like desserts or treats, shouldn't enter his body, which is a strange statement. But if understood in terms of this insight, putting these ideas together that Rav Shlav has done, is a completely new kind of way to think about it. Ube parshas v'ha'losva. In parshas v'ha'losva, v'yishma... Moshe Esa'am Bacho, Bacha, Bacho, I don't remember, Lemish Bachosav. We actually learned this last year, I think, Baha that the nation were crying about their families, and Chazal taught Al Iske Mish Bachosav, it was of matters to do with the family, Al Arayo Shanesulahem, that they were not allowed to have illicit relations. Remember this, and it's this like bizarre thing, they start crying outside their tents because they won't be able to marry people they can't marry, and that's when all the, all the tests begin. All the, the way, the ten tests that the Jews caused for Hashem in the desert, all starts with that. Asher Lechora, at first light, and I, re, I remember we talked about this in Shabbos year. <laughs> at first light, uh, and we didn't have the answer. Kasha, this is very difficult. We see that the complaints that are made in the parsha are not complaints that are explicit about we want to be able to marry our aunt or anything like that or a married woman. What they're complaining about is food. Did you bring us out into the desert to make us die? Right? We want to have meat. It's not enough to you can't expect us to just eat mud all the time. We need meat. Where did Chazal come out saying that the Jews' real issue was that they had a craving for Arayos. Omnam, however, calls man Yisrael as haman. For as long as the Jewish people were eating man, lechem shemalachei hashari zochlim, known also as malachim food, lo nifgam, they didn't get any negative impact. They weren't stained. V'nechlash ha'yetzer tov. The yetzer tov wasn't weakened. But once they wanted basar taiva, meat that they just craved, not because they had any nutritional requirement, but they wanted the taste of the meat. And in eating too much, because remember another quality of man is that you get a portion per person per day. <laughs> there's, no, there's no such thing as picking at the leftovers. <laughs> right, like you got the right amount and that's what it was. But with slav, it doesn't say that there's one slav per person per day. You eat what you're in the mood to eat. Nechlash koach hayetzer tov az misorer habochel mishpechosav al And it's only after that the yetzer tov becomes weakened, and then there could be aroused the crying over the families, some kind of desire for arayos. Why? Because now there's an imbalance. The yetzer and yetzer tov are no longer balanced. You have a powerful Yetzir Hara, and your Yetzir Tov is like didactic and intellectual, but doesn't have that power that a Yetzir has. The Yuvan Bazin, now we can understand through this, Godel Inyan Tainus Haraivet, the greatness of the idea of a Tainus of 
according to the Ravid, the tightness of the Ravid is when a person holds back his hand from eating a food he likes very, very much. This is not the world's easiest. Sounds like a small tightness because you could really eat anything you want except that one food. But the one food you don't eat is something you like a lot. It's scarier. Like when you start keeping kosher. That could be what it's like when you start keeping kosher. A lot kosher. of things that well, you love. <laughs> well, that's a, that becomes good news according to this. <laughs> and we just... <laughs> right? And then he quotes, actually, here's, here's, the, here's the way the Ravid describes this, what he calls a fast. It's, a, it's called the tightness of the Ravid. Hageder hagadol vehashamu. The greatest fence and most well-guarded, Hameula, the highest one, v'haderech atov, and the, the good way, l'hachnas ha'yetzer, to subdue a person's yetzer hara, who re'avon is hunger, re'avon ha'nefesh, cause letting your nefesh, your physical body, be hungry, but through what? He's not saying you should starve yourself. Not saying don't eat at all Mondays and Thursdays. Mimiut hanaoseha. By limiting its pleasures, vita'anugeha, and enjoyments, bemachal uvemishte, when it comes to food and drink. Ula'olam yaniach me'at, this is famous in works of Musar, and a person should always leave over a little bit on the plate, michadet tzarcho, less than what he needs or wanted to eat. This is the opposite of my grandparents' method. <laughs> right, clean your plate. Umehashlamas ta'avuso, you should leave over a little bit on the plate, less than what he wanted, less than what he desired, maybe even a little less than what he needs to be full. As Chazal have said in Gitin, a meal that you have a lot of pleasure from, keep your hand away from it, which is weird. Like, we know that you're supposed to enjoy, we're supposed to... I remember... as a tshuva, he one of his favorite things was bread. He gave up a get for a year wow. as a tshuva. Wow. Wow. This, that's this idea. Wow. Shebehiskav ruso be'es ha'achila. When a person is able to be strong at the time that he eats, hare shover ha'koach ha'machalish, he breaks the power that is weakening his yetzer hatov. And then the heart becomes awakened and aroused and aware. You, uh, you, it's like you've thrown by, by eating either too much or eating only that which you, because you want it, it's like you've thrown a blanket and you've smothered the Yetzirah in your heart and now you take it off. And all of a sudden this can be aroused within the heart. A, a passionate desire, a desperate yearning to do Hashem's will. And then the Yetzer Tov begins to beat, to ring, to, to pump in, inside your heart. And it won't leave you alone. And it bugs you constantly with love of its creator. That's a whole different... As that's, I mean, we, we could probably only relate to that in ter mostly in terms of Yetzer Hara. When a person is trying to distract themselves 
or they're, they're completely thinking about something else and all of a sudden a disturbing thought comes into their mind. He's saying it's, you could have that with your Yetzirah. You're off doing whatever you're doing, maybe even something wrong, and pow, your Yetzirah starts banging the door down. No, no, I love Hashem, right? Go do something wonderful. It could be if you think back, knowing this, you'll also find the places in your, t- in your heart and in your history where it was like this. But we don't normally, it's not the most common thing to recognize. This is also based on the Pasuk. This, in balance with that, God has created. He really created us with free choice in every sense of the word. We really have equally powerful Yetzirah and Yetzir Tov. Shnei ha-yetzarim ba'adam, the two Yetzirs in a person. Nasan b'yetzir ha-tov, and he gave the Yetzir Tov koach l'natzeach as Yetzir the power to vanquish the Yetzir Hara. Ada sher yes'ave lehichavesh tachas memshal ha-yetzir ha-tov, so that a person can desire desperately that his Yetzirah will be vanquished by his Yetzirah Tov, and this is what he yearns for. Okay, that could also explain the challenge of, the challenge of Lech Lecha, because you have to leave everything in life, and know everything is Yeah. So I told you that my daughter called me with a question. So this was the question that she called me about. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. She said, in Parshas Noach, she and her friend had this question while they were learning. In Parshas Noach, it says, The Yonah did not find a resting place, a comfort spot, for the sole of its foot. Um, And their question was, why doesn't it say for the soles of its feet? Why for the sole of a foot? Which is not, the answer to which is not necessarily the answer that helps us over here. But it led me to this Medrash in the Yalkut, which I think is ties together what you said with what we just said, and it links them together. The Medrash Rabbah teaches, The dove did not find a manoach, like a comfortable spot. Had she, well, it's she because yona is a feminine word, but it was a he. Had it found a comfortable spot, it wouldn't have come back. That is the clear implication of the verse. Mm -hmm. It didn't find a comfortable spot to rest its feet, therefore it came back. If it had found a comfortable spot to rest its feet, its foot, it would not have come back. Similarly, there's a verse in Echa, He yashva bagoyim lo matzah manoach. She, the Jewish people, sits among the nations and cannot find a comfortable spot. If they could find a comfortable spot, they wouldn't come back. It's America test. It was the test in Bavel. A lot of people didn't come back from Bavel. And Spain. I mean, Spain had changed, but I'm just looking at America. Yeah. If they did find a comfortable spot to rest their feet, they wouldn't come back. And there's a pasuk in Devarim, Uvagoyim ha'hem lo targia. Amongst these nations, you shall not be able, ragua, to be like at peace or at rest. Velo yiyem ha'noach lechaf raglecha. There will not be a comfortable spot to rest the sole of your foot. 
also singular, were they to find a comfortable spot, they wouldn't come back. So I, first of all, I think that you could definitely understand more about this medrash based on this explanation of Rav Schwab. I think it also links together, like what you said, the idea of the gullus and the discomfort in the gullus being a necessary part of returning to Hashem. I suggested... Or also of awakening your thirst to... Yeah, and awake... To. Yeah, to have the desire so, to come so back. it's like an enlightening and awakening more in Avramadim. Yeah. It, uh-huh, in himself. Yes. Rav Schwab says, I didn't, I didn't bring it. He talks about the bread of Eretz Yisrael specifically being more satisfying in the yeah, spiritual sure. sense. Yeah, I mean, in the but spiritual sense. So when he's lech lecha into Eretz Yisrael... Right. It will further cultivate that, both from the physical and the emotional we side. We know he's leading him there, and there's, you know, multitude of... And he gets there, and there's, yes, this, there's a hunger. He doesn't know where <laughs> he's going. Right. Mm-hmm. So he has to... Mm-hmm. So Just to close the loop on that, one idea was I suggested that that's why it's... Maybe that's why it says the sole of its foot, not the soles of its feet because even the most minimal resting place, meaning just enough to rest on one foot, right. and maybe you'll switch back. You know, birds do that. That's not so unusual. <laughs> but also for the nation, meaning the idea that mm-hmm. even so the most go. minimal <laughs> ability to sit and just be comfortable would make it very difficult for us to come back to Hashem. Okay, so then I, I see that he actually um, seems to build a bit on this idea on the verse, which is in this parsha of Ahaya Im Shemoa, but it isn't the same that we're looking at now. Okay, so over here we have you will eat and you'll be satisfied. And what I'm going to read to you now is Mayan Besa Shoeva. It's Rav Schwab commenting on an earlier verse in the same parsha. You will eat and be satisfied and bless Hashem. Right, which is the source. We did this in the Parsha not so long ago. Rabbeinu B'chai talks about this as the source of benching, and this is really the root of all brachos, because this is the, the De'oraisa bracha, right, that the Torah tells us we have to bench. Okay. Ube brachos, and it says in brachos, Amru malachai hashareis lifnei ha-kadosh baruchu. The, the serving angels said before God, Ribona Shalom, Master of the Universe, Kasuv Besarasacho, it says in your Torah, Asherloyi Saponim Veloyi Kachshochad, that Hashem does not show does not have favorites. He doesn't take bribes. He doesn't uh, give preference to some people over others. Hashem is fair. Sure looks like you're playing favorites with the Jewish people. As it says, Yisa Hashem Panavelecha. The Kohanim deliver a bracha. We say that it's not even the Kohanim really giving the bracha. The Kohanim open their hands and God's blessing comes to the Jewish people. And what is that blessing? God should bless you and guard you. He should illuminate uh, his face towards you and show you grace. Hashem should turn his face towards you, which is a way of saying favoritism. And there's another pasuk that says, Hashem does not turn his face to anyone. He doesn't give them preference. Amar lahem, Hashem answered them. This is the Gemar and Brachos. How could I not turn my face toward the Jewish people? Because I wrote to them in the Torah, You should eat, you should be satisfied, and you should thank Hashem. 
your God. And they are medactic on themselves. They are particular to do this. Even if they've just eaten an olive's shear, a kazayas, or a kabetza, or an egg size amount. So first of all, just hearing that, I think, makes a very different feeling about these shears. Right? You know, you sort of get the classic joke of the enthused yeshiva bachar who comes home for Pesach and sits with his chart, and his parents are like, could you just eat your matzah normally, you know, take a bite and talk and have a drink, and, and he's, oh, I've got to get the full amount in at the right amount of time, right? You sort of joke about it, and we think of it as almost like, well, did you eat it? Because I see you be like, why? Don't get so hung up. Just, did you eat enough to be satisfied? And Hashem says, no, even if they eat only a kazayas or only a kabetza, we, we bench. And we say, this is enough, this amount is enough that I could be satisfied and thank Hashem for it. Now really, Kazayas, I mean, I know that really Kazayas were much bigger than they are now. Let's say Kazayas was as big as an egg. That seems to be the standard kind of assumption, that olives were really the size of eggs. Okay, is that a whole meal? I don't know. It's kind of a bare minimum in the satisfaction side, right? How, how did Hashem answer the malachim? <laughs> I mean, after all, there is a pasuk that says, Hashem is lo yisaponim. No, that is referring to his relationship with the Jewish people. <laughs> so like, what? How, how did you answer anything? So it looks like we have to investigate more closely. What is this... Uh, process that the Chachamim established that we should say Birkas HaMazon when we only ate a Kezayis or a Kibetzah. And the Pasuk seems to say clearly that what you're thanking for is only because you've eaten enough to be satisfied. For example, if you smell something, you make a Bracha before you smell it, but there is no Bracha Achrona after you smell it. There's no concept of Oh, okay, now I've had enough of this lovely smell, and I'll go on. There's no, there's no shear for it. Every time you sniff, you get a nice smell, or maybe you get used to the smell. You don't smell it so much. Whatever it is, there's no, you don't fill yourself up with the smell. Ve'im ken kasha. So he's saying, if there's an idea that by smelling something, you don't really get satisfied from it, then how could it be sha'af shamatzina b'tor that the Torah for sure did not seem to be saying here that if you only eat an olive size amount of food, you should bench. Because that the Torah is saying you have to be satisfied. How could that be satisfactory? It really doesn't seem like it could be. And yet the Chachamim told us that we should bench on that small amount. So then how could the Chachamim say that? You have that that's the sheer, that's the amount. So we have to say, It must be then that really you could be satisfied with just a kazayas or a kabetza. No, but then we still are left with the question, how do you understand that? Uh, yeah, it's going to touch on that musar. It's also going to touch on something else that you asked about. In the blessings, You will eat your bread to satisfaction. What's the blessing? Eat a little, and it expands in your stomach. We mentioned that in this Rashi, something similar, so we're going to come back around to it. 
a person eats a little and it is blessed, it is like multiplied within his intestines. Shala'asid lavo, in the future, yispe'u ba'achila muetes. People will be satisfied by eating a very minimal amount. This is the ultimate long-term blessing of food. Ve'al smach zeh, and relying upon that tiknu chazal birkas hamazon al-chila muetes. Chazal said, then that is the minimum amount that we will say birkas hamazon. Shehisviya shala'asid lavo. It's not because you're satisfied now. You're saying, Hashem, in the future, this is enough to satisfy me. I am trusting, I am leaning on the fact that someday you will fulfill what you said, that even the small amount will be enough. Now, you have to have some kind of shear for it because it said you had to eat. So now we come back to what Hashem answered the Malachim. The Jewish people are, are strict with themselves. To bench, even on just a small amount, when that's how you eat, you're living your life in this world, the ultimate of which is eating, fueling yourself in this world. You are living life in this world, but looking forward to the next world. Did you look forward to Yeshua? You are anticipating. You're living your life here, but your eyes are looking at the next world or at the future, Lasid Lavo, not, not Dafka, like after death, but Lasa, you're looking for the messianic time, you're looking for a time of perfection when Hashem is the king. Therefore Hashem says, How could I not turn my face to them? This is describing how Hashem functions in this world. He does not show favorites. But in the future, there will be Hashem's face turned toward all of those who deserve the next world. So if a person is living in this world, his face always turned to the time of Asid Lavo, to the times of Mashiach, then it is only fair that God's face should also be turned back to them. That's just fair. If the person's turning their face in this world always towards Hashem's perfect future, then that will be back. And they, even in this uh, amount, I think you could tie that back also to what he said before. When a person is limiting what they eat, right, then there is going to be aroused inside of us a greater desire to get close to Hashem and his revelation. That's, that's what he explained to us in the other essay, is this what becomes awakened inside of us. So again, it's only fair. It's only just. That would be the correct and fair non-favoritism. Because the person is yearning and turning to Hashem, then Hashem is turning back. Furthermore, we could say, according to the words of the Rambam in Hilchos Deos, that it is inappropriate for a person to fill his stomach and eat to the point of complete satisfaction. 
Even though the Torah has testified, you will eat and be satisfied, we have to say that satisfaction is subjective. Each individual has a different definition of when they're full, when they feel like they've had enough. Some people only when it's, they feel stuffed do they realize they've had enough. Some people can eat less than enough to fill their stomach. <coughs> and, and then when he pulls his hand back from his food, and decides in his mind that he doesn't need to eat anymore, then his mind and his will quiet the physical desire to have more food. And he is satisfied with what he ate. I mean, he's got different things. Uh, one thing wants more. Some things don't want more. He says, that's enough. I don't, I don't need more. Mm-hmm. So this power is, a, is an outcome of a person's Yerushalayim. To the extent that a person feels that his eating is only so that his body will be strong to serve Hashem, so to that extent, he will feel satisfied when his body has had just enough to be able to serve Hashem. So it's a, it's a direct correlation. In other words, it's a, it correlates with his Yerushalayim. And as Shlomo said, wiser than all other people, a, per, a righteous person eats to the satisfaction of his soul, of his nefesh, and no more. It's very, very possible. As <laughs> okay, and David Hamelach has already told us in Tehillim, "Yiru es Hashem Kedoshav ki ein machzor lireyav," as we quoted, "Shehakedoshav hayireyim es Hashem umekaimim kadesh atzmechab b'mutalach." That the holy ones, the kedoshim, meaning the people who fear God and fulfill the saying, "Make yourself holy in that which is permitted." and they restrict and limit their physical pleasure. So you would think, okay, but they're leaving like a hole, they're leaving a vacuum, an empty space inside of themselves that they didn't fill with the pleasure. There's still an empty spot. There is no empty spot. There is nothing lacking to those who fear God. This really explains what he said before, that the only way you can fill yourself is with Yerushalayim and Avos Hashem. So this is kind of explaining the process. In other words, Ein Machsor Lireav. It fills up. The hole fills up with the Yerushalayim. The Shaha Kfirim, even the young lions, Ein B'kocham Litrov, Ki Imchayos Katanos Vologadolos, Right? The, the little lions are hungry, right? Because the little lion is not strong enough to bring down a lot of food. It can bring down like a rabbit, something small, a mouse. So only little things, not big things. And that's why they're still hungry. Baby lions can't, can't kill much, so they are still hungry. They didn't eat enough to satisfy them. You might think that, like Kfirim, Kfirim Rashu Vera'evu, with young lions, they try and catch prey, but they stay hungry. 
V'dor Hashem lo You need to know, one who is seeking God, one who is actively pursuing God, lo will not feel, feel that he's missing anything. When that hole fills up with Yer there's nothing left that's missing. This is why Hashem commanded us, eat and be satisfied. Right? If you're eating something that you have so much pleasure from, hold your hand back now from it. Not don't eat anything you like. If the meal is that good, it's worthwhile, let's say even eat some of it. And then pull your hand back. And even so, you'll be filled. Or actually, because of it, you'll be filled. The way to really get full from the food that you like is to stop at some point. And thank God. That's the Yerushalayim. That's how you fill the hole. And you will never bear a burden of lack. But you could cough. Didn't say you won't cough. Nimza. Oi. Having trouble catching your breath? Oi. Oi. It's really stuck. Oh, that's better. Oi. Oh. Good job. Sounds like it's a little hard to get up. I think it might need a little bit of help. Yeah. Okay. I'll read it again with you after. <laughs> hey, I'll read it with you too, Mommy. Hard to get your breath that way, huh? So hard with the congestion. Hey. Oh. That's better. <laughs> Bye. Really, in general, she's feeling much, much better the last few days. Oh, for sure. It looks good. Yeah. It was, it was so exhausting with so much oxygen. So. Okay. Nimsa shal yadeshi Yisrael midaktikim al atzmam levarech al kazayis al kabesa. So it comes out that the Jews, by being midaktik, particular on themselves, to bench on just a kazayis or just a kibetza meaning be able to stop and say, I'm eating a small amount, and I'm also, right? There's a different side. He's kind of coming in on this on different angles. From here, I've already come to satisfaction. Through their Yerushalayim. It's exactly fair and straightforward and balanced and deserved. That they will also receive from Hashem a behavior that is above the normal nature. The Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem says, Could I possibly not turn my face toward the Jewish people? But someone who fills his stomach without any limit, without ever stopping. So he's living in a world of Hashem doesn't show favorites. It's possible that this is also the intention of the earlier pasuk vayancha vayari vecha. We also talked about this a few months ago. Hashem caused you to suffer vayari vecha, and He made you hungry vayachilcha esaman, and then He fed you the man. 
Shekol echad kibel midas omer min midas omer man. Everyone got a measure of man of an omer l'chol yom every day. Kedesh v'yaso enough to be satisfied. Velo yoser, but no more. Kedesh tiya, meaning he made you hungry and he fed you man. So they were eating an amount that was almost enough, but not quite enough to fill their stomachs. That's why the, the meaning is the in order to inform you, it is not only on bread that a person lives. It's bread with your shemayim. <laughs> Hashem fed us man so we would realize that it isn't just the bread that keeps us alive. It's not just the food. You could also understand then why the people said it's not enough. We want more. We want slav. Because if you're in the mood to eat or snack, there's nothing left. Sharatza HaKadosh Baruch Hashem wanted lehotzia mehataiva v'hachomrius. God wanted to take them away from taiva and chomrius, physicality. Shahayu b'nei Yisrael shurim b'hem b'mitzrayim, which is how they lived in Mitzrayim. Makes you think what a shock it would be to go from a place like America into the desert eating mun. Because <laughs> suddenly it would be quite dramatic. As they testified about themselves. We lived in Mitzrayim. We lived in the in the the flesh pots, is that what they call them in English? Right? Is that how they translate it? The pots of the pots of meat eating bread until we were full. So if you look at Rav Hirsch, Vahasi Rosi, I, okay, should, um, I'll do it, okay. So Hashem was removing them from this taiva. And then there's an, so one point I want to make also is that the Chazal teach, lo nasna Torah ela lador ochle haman. The Torah was only given to the generation who ate the man. Rav, Rav Schwab doesn't say it here, but it seems that this is really, fits in with this approach. Receiving the Torah, you have to, to also want it, right? That was only suitable by living in a way that you're eating man. You're eating, you have enough, you have what you need, but what you're living on is man plus your shamayim, not man plus 100 calorie snack bags, right? And he just adds one more point, which might not be Rav Schwab. It, I'm, well, no, it probably is. This is my ambitious shoiva. Um, he says, by the way, when it comes to eating ordinary food, what would be called basar taiva, meat that you just were, wanted, right? A person is obligated to leave over a little bit. But it's the opposite when you eat karbanos. When we eat karbanos, we're commanded to eat the whole thing, right? Like a korban pesach. And be careful, viloso siru. Don't leave any over. Which he will explain in Parshas Re. <laughs> Okay, so we'll stop as I did go a little bit over time, a lot bit over time, although we started a little late. But uh, it was one idea that I think is worth carrying through to the end. And Hashem will continue. So I know that, you know, especially if you're in the body, you've probably talked plenty, I'm just guessing, about the idea of leaving over food, of not filling, of whatever. But this is like a whole new approach, which both in the promise of the ability to arouse a Yetzir Tov is appealing. And just in general, thinking, thinking of something as, as a gain, even if it's a holding back, mm -hmm. can allow you to want to do that instead of sort of, I have to force myself to do this, is no, that's what I want to do. 
I want to be like that. I want to be more kadosh. I want to be eating because mm -hmm. I need it. Maybe I'm not there yet, but I want to be there. I want to be that kind of person. Or I want to have a yetu tov. I would love to know, what does that feel like? What does it feel like to passionately desire to do something good? There's two things I want to say, so let me say the important one first. Um, do you know that there's there's a new butcher shop on Westwood Boulevard? No. It's called The Rabbi's Daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it seems really nice, and it's only been open for like a couple of months. And um, I think, you know, if we have the opportunity, I think we should patronize it, because it's really nice it's to have closer. a new butcher shop, and it's closer, and, you know, be really nice to, you know, Give him, give him enough business that he can stay open. <laughs> or her. Um, no, it's, 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 yeah. The, the guy is, um, name is Yisrael. Anyway, mm -hmm. I, I went in there yesterday, like, you know, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning just to look around and see, and the place was empty. <laughs> he always like, beautiful, you know, cuts of meat, and he's got a, a variety of little um, other, other, you know, kosher items that mm -hmm. are available besides just the butcher shop, so you can, you can, you know, up the other things that you need for your, your pantry. And uh, then I went back again, like at 6 o'clock, and I bought some things because I was on my way out. I needed to get something for dinner, and it was still empty. And uh, Where so is I, it? It's on Westwood Boulevard, a half a block north of Pico. It's called the Rabbi's Daughter. Half a block north of Pico? Half oh, that's a really close to here. On, on the east wow. side. I'm like picturing up near Westwood. <laughs> this no, is like down by Westside Pavilion. Left on, that's practically on, Santa Monica. On Westwood, and and there's parking. You, you turn know? left from Pico, you coming turn, going going out. You turn left, coming back. You like turn sort right. of almost like a cross. That's very easy. Yeah. And it's only half a block. It's on the east side, and if there's no parking, like in the, in the afternoon after four o'clock you can't park because they use it for two lanes of park driving but if 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 you're headed north on on westwood you'll you'll see the rabbi's daughter and then next to it's a jewelry store and then there's a little driveway if you take that driveway around the back there's lots of parking whoa so do you know who's the supervision um no i put the card in, in i took it out that's really first, cool yes it's it's an amazing um, location yeah so for us. If you, have, if you have the opportunity to give him some business so that he can at least stay open long enough to, you know, get well known that, you know, we don't need to either right. specifically go there to help him, right. that would be nice. Cool. You said you had another thing. Oh, it was just, you know, a personal reflection on, you know, sometimes when we go out to eat, you know, we go to these beautiful kosher restaurants and they give us these like, plates full of food, right? And, you know, a lot of times people just sit down and like they eat the whole thing. And I was reflecting that sometimes, like, if I've ordered something that, like, I know my son really likes and he's not out to dinner with me and his, but I'll, 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 I'll all of a sudden see this as two meals, right? It's like, oh, well, I'm going to eat this much and I will be satisfied so that I can take home enough that he will also be satisfied. Whereas before, I saw it as one meal. As one meal. <laughs> That's cool. That's neat. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I was wondering earlier when you were talking about the comfort food, it's like you know, sometimes it's good you know, to refrain from it, but that's why God made chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> so there were two things that we mentioned here, really. One was an idea that the Rivid suggests a kind of fast. Um, no, that, no, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. We, we heard two things. One was a kind of restraint 
where there's a specific food that you like overly much and you decide to refrain from it altogether because of that. The other is a holding back of the food. So you eat the chocolate, uh -huh. but then you say, but I'm, I'm going to leave some. I'm not going to eat the full amount that I would have had. Zayas <laughs> of chocolate. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Instead of the whole box, you leave one in there. <laughs> it's good manners also. Right, but, but in doing that, then what you've done is you've, you've put a curb on the amount you're eating for Taiva. So that it, even when you ate for Taiva, right, because each of us would have to find where this applies to us. It's not always going to be the same thing. One is just, one way of doing it is to say, whenever I eat something, I'm going to leave, try and leave something over on the plate so that I'm, nev I'm always conscious of it. And that, that happens to be considered a very, very powerful way of doing it. That was a little bit more what the Rivet described. Another way is to say, there's one particular food that I like a lot. I'm going to hold back on that because that food I'm really eating just for Taiva. Another, and that, another way is when you're eating to be aware of what you're eating. This actually is very difficult because it's hard to stay aware the whole time of how full you are and follow the Rambam's advice and say, okay, now I've had enough. I'm not full, but it's enough for what I need. Any more than this would be eating just because I want to eat, right. not because I need more food, and therefore I will stop so that I only ate what I needed to eat. That was like the Yerushalayim and filling up the rest with the Yerushalayim. Mm -hmm. So these are all different angles. Yeah, I, I think know. like, there is a, you could say, I am going to eat chocolate, but I'm always going to eat one square, or I'm always going to eat five squares, or whatever it is. Right. I mean, there is a physiological uh, phenomenon parallel to that, as far as the play, right. is that slowly enough. It takes some time for the brain to register that right. you're full. That you're full. That's true, right. Right. So that's so, even physically, like yeah, if you eat less, you'll still be if full. If you eat slow, slower, right. then you'll eat less. And I know that as far as just like staying off things that you really like or having small amount, same thing. If what I've been doing sometimes is just eating very slowly the small amount of the thing that I like mm -hmm. a lot. It will just like stretch. <laughs> so you keep the taste in your mouth longer, but yeah. you ate a less amount. I mean, it's almost like any one of these ways, or different ones in different times of your life, or different ones in different parts of yeah. your eating. Yeah. You know. It, yeah, I, I, I've seen it in, in my family. My sister eats other people. Are they, you know, done with the meal and you know, she's they want to leave the table. Just sit and talk to her. And and my my dad does does the other way. He's I'm just going to do halves. You know, I'm going to have a half a sandwich. I'm not going to have a whole sandwich. And so, mm -hmm. if I get hungry again later, I'll have another half a sandwich. But you know, mm -hmm. I only want. But it's challenging two here. I remember when Nana, the, the yeah, I do give like a huge amount, and people here are not satisfied. They have French like nouvelle cuisine kind right. of place. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember once telling the the waiter. It's a waste. Why do you serve such big portion? And he said, people are not happy if we don't serve this amount. They want it. Right. Well, and if someone's going out, not everyone goes out all the time. So if they're going out special and they're paying all that money, and then when they're done, they still, <laughs> they still feel hungry because they aren't accustomed to eating less. They're accustomed to keep on eating until they feel the fullness. 
or the, right? I mean, so then they finish eating and they're like, I paid for a meal. I had something happen to me once. I took my kids somewhere and ordered them children's meals. They were like children's meals for a two-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like literally like one of those little mini taquito things. Like, it was such a tiny amount that like a, a five-year-old wasn't full. They like, okay, now what do I eat? Like, you know, there was no way. Like, really, a toddler could have eaten it, but it wasn't. So that's great if you've got a toddler and you just want to buy their little food. But because we didn't know, we ended up having to buy like another whole order of dinner <laughs> in order to finish feeding, you know, these small children because, you know, but if you're accustomed to eating a small amount, then fine. But it wasn't such a nice feeling to feel like you ordered the food and now you got to go do another whole order just okay. to come away with what you, you know, so thought you needed. So, about, you know, encouraging the extra toes. Yeah, I think that's the real exciting yeah, bit of that. Yeah, I like this. It's not so much how you decide you're going to control your food per it's se. It's not just about food. It's right. other physical pleasures. That's right. That's right. But it, it gives it such a, I don't know, I find that it gives it such a positive side. Mm -hmm. that sometimes the difficulty with restraint mm -hmm. is that you don't necessarily feel that there's an, I don't mean advantage, like justification advantage, but like what I'm, what I anticipate feeling mm -hmm. from restraining myself is not satisfaction. At best, it's satisfaction that I did the right thing, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. I expect that I'm going to feel hungry, limited, disappointed, but my brain will tell me, that's like that, you know, the gates are hard, the gates are tov, you know, my brain will say, but I did the right thing. In the long run, I'll be happy that I'm a more satisfied, controlled person, something like that. Whereas the, the, the promise here, so to speak, is something very different. It's, ah, if I do that, what I will start to feel is something very exciting mm -hmm. that I want. Not just that I won't feel, or I won't feel like a glutton, I won't feel like a bad person, right? A lot of times when you hold back, you expect the reward to just be that you don't feel something bad. To expect to feel something good in this world, not the next world, in this world. That's a kind of different way of thinking about it. And it's a way that, for a lot of people at least, will be more sustainable. This is something I'm just starting to learn about from these writings from Rabbi Ruve Leichter. It's, he's a Talmud of Revolvi, and he's got an approach where he says, how can a person maintain change? And part of this approach centers around figuring out how to change in a way that you really want to do so that it is pleasant and it fits your personality and if it, then you want that mm -hmm. now you've harnessed the taiva toward the direction you want to go but you'll see uh, with the Musar that at some point the Rav was telling us because you're enrolling your guf to be on a program to change and it's, it's a toll on the guf then when you achieve something, the rabbi was telling you, yeah. reward you. I remember Rabbi Kalaman saying that. You have to reward your body yeah. when you so ask it like, to do something. Yeah. But this is, that is not the same as what's being said here. Yeah, I don't know yeah. that they both don't fit in, no, it, they, but it's they, a no, different... They do. they do, because it's like, it's, it's, you have to have control over your group, but you have to respect it. So it's like, it's this kind of work together. I think it's different. It sounds, because I've heard, I've heard that from when Rabbi Kalaman gave just the open share. And so far, this sounds to me different. 
because that approach is that my mind needs to control my body. Yeah, but it's the same. This approach is saying that the reason we feel that way, I mean, in any case, our mind has to be the controller. Yeah. But, but the way it works most of the time for us is that our mind has to control our body, and there is no, the body is all wanting to go to the negative, and we have to somehow get control over it by brain alone, rather than by harnessing the body's desire for good. Not, not ha do you understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, no, and I, this I, approach I, of removing life is more, he talks about, like, you can't just decide I'm not going to do something and then you won't do it. I mean, sometimes that works. Yeah. But for most people, most of the time, yeah. that doesn't work. You make a resolution, a week later it's yeah, over. Yeah, no, it so it's saying, well, Hashem, his example is Hashem wants me to learn Torah. So I'm going to decide I'm going to learn every day. Well, and then that disappears. So I have to look and say, well, what's, look at the reasons why I'm not learning enough. But also say, well, what kind of learning do I, yes, enjoy? Or what is it that it means that Hashem wants me to learn every day? What, and he gives different examples. But you're rewarding it enemy. with the control. Yes, the, 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 the goof is not the enemy. The goof is the, the little child to train. If you're looking at your goof as an enemy, right. it's going to be a battle that is just like an endless battle. But if you're looking at your goof, at a child to, you know, be the, to mechanech, then... You have to limit the way you discipline your children, and you have to reward the way you reward, and you have to elevate and, and take it along to serve the right thing and not the wrong, to take the passion for the right channel. But where does that passion come from? I think when we, when we teach our kids, you know, you give them M&Ms because they went to the bathroom or they cleaned their room. So what you're hoping is more or less to habituate and maybe the idea will be someday they'll come to enjoy that more than the alternative right. or not that. You don't really expect that they're going to learn to love to clean their room. What you expect is they'll learn to want a clean room more than they want to not clean well, it. But eventually when they live in a clean room, when it's not That's clean... The they're gonna feel, oh, I don't Exactly, like it. but, but you don't expect to train time. them ever. It might happen, but you basically have no expectation that they will enjoy cleaning. The best you can hope for is that when they become habituated to a clean room and they have the habit of the cleaning, that they will want the clean room enough to force their body to clean it. Right. This is different. What he's saying is, what is there about cleaning a room that I would enjoy? But that's the top of the goof. That's your sechel. You have to address all the level of the goof. Okay, it could be. I don't know. It could be. But as far as I can tell so far in being able to apply these approaches, this is really different. Okay. It's not that it contradicts it, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's a very different way of looking at it. Being able to say, like the example he gives is, Hashem wants me to learn every day, and I'm supposed to have my mind on Torah all the time. And then crea his creative one was, um, if, I, if I'm going to, what if I learn one paragraph every morning, yeah, and then all day my mind will be turning over this idea and thinking about this idea. Now I have my mind on Torah all day, and it was, it's not just that it was a small change. It's that now it's something that I'm looking forward to immediately. Not because I habituated it. No, not, no, no, but that's, it, that's, the, that's, I found how I could do the action itself 
in a pleasurable way. Right. That a person found that I don't like cleaning, but when there's this special music going that makes me feel like I get up and go, then all of a sudden the cleaning itself is fun. So or I have a friend over to clean with me. Or that's, that's the being enticed. The music is the cook, and the small increment is not. Well, the small increment is a different the red issue, flag for right? Flying under that's the radar. That's a but that's a different the issue. Radar of, as Rabbi Kellerman puts it, under the radar of your yetzer. Take too big of a step, then you're just like. Right. I think that's a separate topic, though. Yeah, the yeah. small and the big. Yeah. This seems to me to correspond with that idea that, that Ramchal said, where he said, You change it on the inside, the Yitzhar doesn't fight you on that. It's only on the outside effects. And it might take longer. Anyway, it's, I don't but know enough inside, about it to, to apply. It's also a level of the goof. That's what I'm trying to. You're not touching your neshama. You're touching your goof at the top. Always. Of I, I don't know. I don't know anything about the top and the bottom. I don't know. I don't know enough to know. Right? I mean, generally speaking, Seichel, I'll see you in a few minutes. Seichel and Regesh are ruach. So they're adjacent to your goof and they interact with it, but it's not the goof itself. I, I don't know enough about these things to be able to connect them philosophically. I just see that in practice, at least... At the beginning stages, they appear to come out to be different ways of thinking about change. Right. And it's possible. He also mentioned sort of like nowadays, meaning it could be that this is not the ideal way at the highest levels change. It could be that the disciplined way of change is the more important way, not the tempting way but it may not be feasible for most people in this generation, which is a generation of plenty. And what I felt in, was so novel in this approach of Rav Schwab was the holding out, it's a carrot, but it's not a physical carrot. It's a carrot that says, you could have your Shemaim, you could have Avos Hashem, you could desperately want to be good. Now, we do at different times in our life feel that, and maybe it's because there was something we restrained ourselves from. But it gives a new purpose to the restraint that is positive, that is beyond just the success of having not done something. Right. That the restraint itself is a positive right. act, yeah. not, a, yeah. not only a negative, gives you something that you could look forward to right. and relate to yeah, there is a positive in a way that, that I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know enough about the other. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's definitely one that percolates. It's mm -hmm. it's one of those work on the inside yeah. thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I don't really thought about you know why Mr. Tov is called a, a yetzer when you're, and it doesn't seem to be balanced. I <laughs> thought about it when we were talking about the end of brachos. You know, as but like to get there, we're kind of saying push us into Yetzirah. Like it's just we don't need to be pushed to get into Yetzirah. And and yet there is a point where at some point in your life, if you ever do feel that passionate desire to do something good, maybe because you feel very grateful, yeah, right, or something like that, you could feel overwhelming desire to do something. Right, that and that's so such a remarkable feeling, yeah. and such an exciting feeling, and then it then it it's gone, mm -hmm. and how would you get how do you get back to that? Yeah, I'm saying, it, yeah. right. I think a lot of people probably have never felt it, but let's say you have felt it, 
How, how do you hold on to it? How do you recapture it? How do you spend more of your life in that place where you don't especially feel tempted in that moment to do the wrong thing? Because your emotions are so completely har harnessed into wanting to do the right thing. So the temptation is a temptation to good. How could you spend more of your hours that way? <laughs> it's a good training ground. You're very, very, you have very few, you know, needs or horrors involved with your children. I mean, you really want to do good for them. You want to do good for them. But I don't know how many mothers have not ever thought if I could just, like, not have someone knock on the door while I'm in the bathroom. Right? I mean, there's... Yeah, that's, that's not necessarily. <laughs> perfectly normal. It's all perfectly normal. Right. I see what you're saying. Like to sort of live it that's a way of living your life in such a way that what you want is what's good. I think a lot of people do things in their parenting because they want peace and quiet. That's not good. Yeah. That's not ideal. It's a wonderful process that Hashem has given all humanity. It's a, tr it's a wonderful training. To be a parent is a natural training for goodness, as you say. Yeah. You do see nowadays, though, a lot of people are acting just to be left alone. I mean, I think it's gotten that far with the comfort. Right. Well, I know sometimes, you know, people give their children bedtimes just so they can have peace. Exactly. Not Instead the of the amount really of sleep the child yeah. needs. And it could be that you get the same bedtime either way. But it's a different way of thinking about it. And, and an iPad and a TV and, you know, just please. Exactly. Which is the opposite of trying to emulate God, who's saying, I want to hear from us. I want to hear from you. Anyway. Yeah. I remember hearing a, uh, a tape on, I think the title was Materialism. Mm -hmm. Rabbi Katz was describing the community where he used to live. And the kids had plenty of place to run around in the grass, beautiful gardens, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Remember which rabbi came and visited the place and he said, he commented on the beautiful meetups of the children and he said, but the children in Yerushalayim who don't have enough space, greeneries, and who are sharing a room and, you know, crowded, will be mo more kadosh than these kids. And it's just Never quite having enough space. Enough, you know, on the one hand, it leads to a lot of kind of always thinking, oh, if only we had more, if only we had yeah, more. But yeah, on the other hand, right. yeah. It's, uh, it's just looking at the, that in a different light. Mm -hmm. Especially mm -hmm. the mixed blessing yeah. and all that. Mm -hmm. I guess that is a little bit back to the Yona, right? To the to the dove, if it did have a comfortable place to put its foot down. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah. That's how we all are, right? Yeah. If we were perfectly comfortable, we wouldn't go running back to God with our problem. We would just sit there. Thank you.